Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 6, 19-24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is God's word. So we are um, starting a series on money today, which as a preacher is always precarious, uh, you know, treacherous ground. And there's lots of reasons for you to check out right at this very moment, Um, even if you don't actually walk out just to mentally go away. So you may say, well, I don't really want to talk about that this morning. Um, or that's talked about too much in church, we really shouldn't, I kind of hope we don't. You may say, well, that's not really where I'm at. That is not very exciting. You know, we've been in like this thing with forgiveness for six weeks. It's gut-wrenching, whatever, but money, I don't really want to talk about that. Or I, I, I come here to forget about that. <laughs> Why are we bringing it up? The truth is that um, you are being talked to about money all the time. In fact, you are being taught about money all the time. From the moment you wake up, you walk out the door, whatever you're looking at in your, on your phone, whatever's on the radio, whatever you're watching at night, whatever things you hear as you go, the conversations you have with people during the week, you're constantly being taught about money. You're being taught that, hey, you're richer than you think, right? You're being taught uh, that if you have been in an accident, there may be some money on the table there for you to grab, but you don't have to pay until they get paid. You're being taught that you have to think about the future and life insurance and that if someone, if you were critical illness or you're going to die, that there will be some money left for the people around you. You're being taught that maybe you have enough money to afford a BMW on a lease on a monthly payment. You're being taught all the time about money. And yet, think about this. Everyone who is teaching you about money is trying to get it from you. Imagine when you wake up that in front of you was this crowd of people constantly trying to grab for your wallet in your back pocket. All the way through your hallway, all the way while you're sitting at breakfast, all the way out the door, in your car, everyone's just trying to grab your wallet. As you walk out, as you're at work, everybody's trying, because everyone's talking to you about it, and the people talking to you about it are trying to get it from you. The people teaching you about it are trying to get it from you. That's a crazy way to live. Constantly having to grab your back pocket because people are trying to tell you about it so that you will give them your money. And so sometimes we just feel like, ah, it's one of those subjects, you know, that I don't really like thinking a lot about because I feel that, even as you're describing that. It's like, yeah, there's constantly these things. So why would I let scriptures, why would I let Jesus actually be another voice? Isn't that just going to be another voice in this thing that's kind of complicated or kind of confusing or I think I'm fine about? Why do I need another voice? Here's why. Because Jesus is the only one who teaches us about money and isn't trying to get it from us. Get that? Everybody else teaching us about money is trying to get it. 
which means they might even be tempted to tell us things that are sort of true or half true or not true at all in order for us to get it, give it to them because that's what they want. The goal is to teach you so that you'll give them some of your money, which means some of what they're going to say to us isn't true. It's a myth. Jesus is the only one who's teaching us about money, not because, as one person said, he wants our money or he wants something from us. It's because he wants something for us. Remember Andy Stanley saying years ago, if God wanted your money, he would just take it. The government takes your money easily every month. And if they didn't take enough, there's one point a year where they'll come back and say, we need a bit more. You think God can't just take your money from you? If that's what he wanted, he would just do it. But Jesus actually is the one person we need to let speak into this part of our lives. We need to let his voice be a little bit louder than the rest of them. We need to actually give him time for those other voices to go down so his can go up because he's the one person that doesn't need anything from us but wants something for us. In fact, the scriptures say he wants every good blessing for us. So this is one of those subjects where we actually need to lean in and listen. It's also interesting because most of what Jesus talked about money, which he did talk a lot about money, more than almost every other subject, he was talking to people who had virtually none of it. He was talking to people who lived day to day. They were farmers, they were fishermen, they were carpenters, they were people who lived off the land, subsistence kind of hand to mouth. If they sold, they ate. If they caught, they ate. If they grew, they ate. If not, they didn't. They didn't have very much. And yet he was talking to them all the time about money. And you and I, if you have a household income of $40,000, are in the top 10% in the world. Household income, $40,000, puts you in the top 10% in the world. So if Jesus had a lot to say about money to people who had virtually none of it, you and I should really be listening. But maybe the greatest reason to lean in over the next few weeks to this series that we're calling The Myths of Money is because you and I have tension in our life because of money. We have it. It's actually everywhere. You have tension, some of you, in your job, because the only reason you're in the job you're in is to make money. You don't actually love it. Some of you would say, I hate it. Some of you would say, well, I just tolerate it. Some of you would say, well, I just need to do this to live. So you have attention in the thing that you do for 50 hours a week because of money. It's the only reason you're there. I'm not saying that's a bad reason. I'm just saying that may be a fact a reality for some of you that every time you get in the car or you get on the subway or wherever, however you get to the place where you work, you dread going there, but the only reason you're going there is because you have to make money. And so there's tension in your life because of it. Others of us have tension in our lives because we have debt. Things, decisions we've made, stuff we've accumulated that now or perhaps our expenses are exceeding our income. And so we have tension or stress in our lives because of that constant financial rub, that drain. Or the frustration of having locked ourselves into something that we wish we could get out of now and we're having to service that debt all, of, all the time. Some of us, if you have kids, you have stress in your life because your kids aren't doing well at school. And we say, what does that have to do with money? Well, generally speaking, why do we want our kids to do well at school? So they'll get a what? A good job. What is a good job? One that pays well. A good job so that they'll be financially secure. So that what? They won't have needs. It's about money. 
Some of us have stress or tension driving our kids or trying to drive them harder or worried that they're not going to learn well because what? If they don't, then they won't get into a good school or they won't get a good job. If they don't get a good job, it means they won't have a paycheck. They won't have a good financial stability. They'll be stressed or they won't be able to have what we have or what we hope we didn't have or we hope they do. Actually, underneath that is what? It's money. There's tension in our lives. Maybe even with adult children, we have tension in our relationship with them because we're like, man, we want something for them and we're struggling with where they are, where we hope they would be, and that creates tension. Maybe some of us feel like, man, I didn't open the right doors, I didn't get where I, because now I'm struggling with this stress. Some of us just have tension in our lives because we're just constantly buying stuff. Little things here and there. Or we're constantly aware of stuff that we have, and the more stuff we have, the more we realize we need stuff to support that stuff because there's stuff that plugs into that stuff, right? So we just need more stuff, and so we're just constantly doing that. It kind of marks just most of our lives. And so we're just busy with that. Or we're busy because if you're, in a, if you're married, we get, may, we need, maybe we need two incomes to make this thing work. And so lives are just busy if both of you are working, or maybe your kids are working as well, you're trying to do this, trying to do that, kind of keep them in school, or get them to make sure they've got before school or after school, or learning extra stuff, or whatever it is, it creates a pace that is tense in our lives. It creates this tension. And that's why we need to listen to the words of Jesus. Because you know what? Jesus tells us why we feel that tension. And he says it in the passage that Dave read for us this morning. In a sermon to a bunch of people that didn't have a lot of money. In Matthew 6, 24, he says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's the reason for tension in your lives, and I screwed up this on the back of the bulletin, which is just like, you know, but I got it right up here, okay? Money isn't just money, it's a master. The reason, Jesus says, that we feel a tension in our lives with money is because we are caught between two masters. And he's describing the tension, right? If you have two masters, you'll either hate the one or, or love the other, despise the one, serve the other. What? He's describing this sense of feeling torn between two masters. There's a tension that will come into your lives because money isn't just money. That's a myth. It's a master. It is a Lord. It is Jesus, in one sense, saying it is a rival God. In this statement, he, he kind of puts money on the same level as God. Not in actual fact, but in terms of, you know, money isn't the God. Money isn't the creator of the heavens and earth, but doesn't money make the world go round? How much of our lives, and actually we realize now to a scary point, how much of our entire global economy is sitting precariously on a few stock markets and a few pieces of currency? So much of life in a global economic sense, revolves around money. And then so much of our lives does of trying to keep it or trying to make it or trying to spend it. It marks so much of our lives. If you happen to be in that category of someone who's only working because it's a paycheck, right? That marks 50 hours of your life, almost all of your waking life. Money is also, in one sense, connected to greed, and greed is probably the sin that makes evil thrive in the world. 
I, I never really realized this until I was, I remember watching an interview, as you know, some of you know as a church that we have been uh, getting more informed about the issue and, and really the heartbreaking issue of human trafficking that's happening not only all over the world, but in the hotels along Highway 7, right where we live in our neighborhoods. And I remember watching an interview with the pimp and he was talking about, you know, what they do to groom these girls and, and, and you know, kind of make them believe in this dream that then they pull them into human trafficking. And at one point he said, you, he said, you know it's wrong, but the money's too good. Wow. The underbelly of the ugliest thing going on in our world today is money, is greed. Money in itself is not evil, but the lust for it, the desire for more is greed, and it makes the world go around, and, and, many, and, and, and it, it is the cause of so much evil in this world, not just in human trafficking, but then some would argue that some of the wars that we've gotten into are just to protect which currency is used to buy and sell oil. Money, maybe is, it, it, where you've come from, has actually ripped apart your family. You've seen kind of the evils of greed even working inside your own family in big and small ways. And so I think what we need to say is the working hypothesis should be this might be a problem for me. If Jesus is talking to, this, uh, this, to people who don't make any, and we see how money really makes the world go around and in many respects is, is, is fueling a lot of the evil that's happening in this world, I can't excuse myself from the conversation and say, this isn't an issue for me. The working hypothesis is this might be an issue for me. No matter how much I make, no matter whether I feel in control of it or not, whether I feel like I'm in a good place or not. And Jesus is saying the tension that you feel in your life is because you are torn between two masters. It's actually a revolutionary statement by Jesus that money could actually, in a sense, be a rival God. And how can it be? Like, how does that actually make sense? We say, well, what? I don't feel like money is a God that I'm bowing down to and serving. How does this work? I don't feel like, and if you're a person of faith, you say, well, no, I'm following God. I love God. I don't, I don't even think, how does this even make sense? I think one of the things we have to realize is Jesus was not introducing a third category, that is people who don't have a master. The implication is every one of us has a master. Every one of us has a Lord of our life. The question is, who are you choosing to serve? There's no such thing as a free person. We live in a culture that says it's free, right? That the individual rights and freedoms, that that is the ultimate pursuit of human identity. And yet we are caught in many respects as slaves to this master of money. And Jesus is saying, everybody is ruled by something. The question is, who are you going to serve? Because here's the thing. What does every master want? Every master wants devotion, loyalty, priority, right? The heart. Every master wants devotion, loyalty, priority. The things that the heart says, this is my heart's desire. This is my one desire. And every master in return promises security, significance, satisfaction. And herein we find the pull between our two masters, between God and money, both of whom are demanding the affections of our heart. Loyalty, priority, devotion. Promising security, significance, satisfaction. And the question is, who will we choose to serve? Because we give devotion, loyalty, priority to the one that we believe will give us in return security, satisfaction, significance. And so we are torn. 
These are the affections of the heart that both masters are competing for. You say, well, how does, I don't understand. How does this actually work? What does money promise us? It promises us security. There are many of us who are saving or trying to save or are looking at where we are in the hopes that one day, someday, we'll be okay, however we define that. We will be financially secure. That is what all the banks are promising us if we invest. And of course, there's truth to long-term financial planning. There's, a, there's wisdom in laying away some so you can have it later. But can it actually deliver security? Many of the people who were planning on retiring in 2008 are still working because the bottom fell out of what they were counting on. Were they wrong to save up for later? No, but it just couldn't promise what it promised because nobody can guarantee that. Not even the stock market can say, if you give this dollar today, I guarantee you it will be there when you retire. But that is the promise it is made. It is not about whether we save for the future. It is about what our heart is believing will make us secure in the long run. That I'll be okay. So therefore, I will devote myself to this job, to two jobs, to this pace of life. Therefore, in order to be secure in the long run, that's why I'm sacrificing today is to get that. Right? The sacrifices we make with our time, with our minds, with our hearts, with our energy, even with our short-term dollars is to get security or perhaps for others' significance to be able to acquire goods, to be able to dress a certain way, to live a certain way, to have a certain kind of lifestyle is a sense of saying, I've arrived. I am a significant person because I am someone of significance. I have amassed a wealth of significance. I have achieved the things that I'm supposed to achieve in life. Therefore, I need money to do that so that I can feel significant, happy with who I am so that I can meet the standards of the expectations that others have for me or the culture has for me or my spouse has for me or my family has for me or that I have for me. Money, in a sense, promises that sense of significance. If I can acquire this and purchase that and achieve this, I will be someone. That's the promise. And so we pay. We sacrifice time, energy, priority, the devotion of the heart. And then, of course, satisfaction. Some of us believe the promise that money will make us satisfied. That if I can acquire these things, I will be happy. I will enjoy life. That the richer people are, the happier they are. That more is better. This is the promise of money. And Jesus is saying, listen, these things too are what God promises. The question is, who is the true master? You see, why was Jesus putting this finger on, on this for us. If he's the one person talking to us about money that doesn't want it from us, why would he be telling us this? Because money is a cruel master. Everybody has the Lord, has a Lord of their lives. Money demands much, promises more, and delivers less. Security, it cannot deliver. Significance, only insofar as until somebody else outdoes you. Only insofar as the standards change and now more is needed. Satisfaction, well, you and I both know whatever you were enamored with and purchased and was shiny and bright at the time is faded now and you need something else later on. That's just a fact of life. It demands much from us. And many of us are sacrificing hours and hours and hours of our life. Not because it's wrong to devote yourself to your work, but because your heart believes that therein will be security, significance, satisfaction. 
It is using us up. Devotion. Promising more and delivering even less. And Jesus saying, you know, there's another master that also requires devotion, loyalty, priority, that promises more and always delivers. And this is the tension that we find in our heart. You say, well, how does this work? Well, supposing you are in a job and you're working hard at that job, but there's layoffs coming. If your heart is devoted to money because of security or because of significance or because of the satisfaction it promises, what will begin to turn in your heart as you know layoffs are coming? Worry, anxiety. What will you, how will you treat the rest of your team if it's an eat or get eaten kind of world? It'll be you first. It'll be starting to push people, make others, okay, if you have to establish your worth in the pecking order above others, well, if push comes to shove, you're going to make yourself look better. And then every day as you come in with the cloud of your head going, is it today? Is it today? Is it today? Because if I lose it, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my plans? What's going to happen to my retirement? What's going to happen to my sense of significance? What am I going to tell people I do for a living if I don't have a living anymore? See, money using you up, making you anxious, worried, making you push others down just to make yourself look better for a little while, all the time living under the cloud of what if, what then, what now? But what if we're that same person in that job and we are serving God? Yes, we may, still be, we may still be in the place where we would lose our job. We may still be in the place where we're in a work environment that feels a little bit toxic, like there's a shadow over it. But in our heart, we know, you know what? Security always came from God. It never came from money. My sense of self-worth doesn't come to whether I have a job or whether somebody above me thinks that I'm not good enough to do this anymore, that someone else is better than me because I'm a child of the king. I'm, I'm loved because I'm loved by the one of utmost significance and utmost importance. My sense of satisfaction in life doesn't come from having stuff, but from being loved. From being in a place where no matter who tells me I can't work for them, I don't belong here, I can still use the gifts that God has given me. That's where satisfaction comes from. You see the difference? Same job. Same hours, same commute, different heart. He said, you'll either be devoted to one and you'll despise the other, you'll love the one and you'll hate the other. You cannot be torn between two masters. And so the question for us is, what would it look like if we began to serve the one and reject the other? See, because the only thing worse then serving a cruel master is not realizing that you're serving a cruel master. If you talk to the police in the vice squad in York Region, as they are going in and trying to rescue these girls of human trafficking, he said the worst thing ever is when you come to a girl and, you know, they found her undercover and they said, hey, we know you're being trafficked. And she says, no, it's my boyfriend. He's my boyfriend. You know, we, we pro he's promised me a dream. We're going to get a house one day together. I just need to do this for a little while to make enough money so he's going to marry me. Right? We think, oh, how do you not realize how this is actually a cruel master who is destroying your life, but they have believed the lie of what's going to happen. And in many ways, friends, that would be the most dangerous place for us to be when it comes to the lies of money, to not realize that this is a cruel master that we are serving our whole lives. 
What would it mean to actually get free, to believe the lie that money isn't just money, it's a God, and Jesus says, choose today whom you will serve. One who promises, demands much, promises more, and delivers even less. Or one who has given you everything. Who will not use you up because they don't need anything from you, but will give you what you really need. See, what would it be like, imagine your job, if you began to see that as a place of serving God and not money. Little, uh, this last year, Adam LaRoche, who's a, a pretty good, I think is a first baseman for the Chicago White Sox, had a contract, that had a $13 million payoff coming for this year, and he quit. He just walked away. And at the clubhouse, everybody couldn't believe what had happened. I remember reading an article about it, and he said we had gone, me and another guy had gone to Cambodia. We're working in um, trying to rescue some of these human trafficking victims. They were working undercover with some of these kids. And he said, we were about to get on the plane. We looked at each other and we said, are we really going back to go play a game now for, the li for a living? He walked away, 13 million bucks. And the rest of the world is like, are you crazy? You may say, well, he had so much. Hey, everybody's standard of living just creeps. It's all relative. But at that moment, he realized, wait, I'm not actually here to serve that master. I'm here to serve another one. But what would it be like for you to actually change the way that you think about your job? That instead of sacrificing hours and hours and hours of your heart, I'm not saying you have to quit your job, but maybe you'd work differently. Maybe you'd work a little less on certain days. Maybe you'd change the way you felt as you drove in, as you commuted in. Because this is actually a place where I don't serve money, but I serve my true master. What would it look like to alleviate the stress in your relationship with your kids about driving them hard to succeed and giving them a different vision of how they could grow? I remember hearing Andy Stanley, who's a, a pastor, who's been kind of a distant mentor of mine. He doesn't know me, but I know him. He's mentored me from afar. He's got a church of like 36,000 people, and there's millions of people around the world to listen to his podcast. And I remember him saying as he was growing up, his dad just said to him over and over and over again, son, God has a plan for your life. You have to figure out what it is. God has a plan for your life. You have to have your ears open, eyes open. You have to be praying, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What would change in your family if those are the values we were beginning to instill in our kids? God has a plan for your life. Eyes open, ears open. You gotta figure out what it is. Not money has a plan for your life or I have a plan for your life that you would be financially stable, but God has a plan for your life. You have to find out what it is. What would it look like if you and I began to see the little money we make and we spend and we send here and there different ways? There's a few compassion kids that Jen and I sponsor. And one of the things I love about sponsoring a kid with compassion is you write letters to them. And over and over and over, they will tell you the thing that the kids love the most is the letters. They run around the neighborhood with these things. They write back, tell us about their family. We write back again, include pictures. We talk to them. It's a, it's a dinner for two out a month to do it. But how would that change? Do you need one more dinner? Do you need one more sweater? How would that actually change the way to saying, you know what, I don't need to do that anymore because I'm not serving that because I don't need to have that sense of significance. I get significance and satisfaction from doing something totally different. Jesus says, don't be torn between two masters. But you might say, well, what does God want us to do? He wants to sell everything? Is the money's bad? I don't want you to get that impression. We're actually going to take a few weeks to walk through this. this is, money is a part of life, and you can't escape it. We're saying, well, we're just supposed to be poor and just, you know, just get away from it, and that's, that's a lie, too, that if somehow I can just get rid of it, I'll get away from it. Jesus offers a different way in that passage, right? 
Look what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is inviting us to stockpile treasure in a different way. Rather than pour all of our minds, energy, and really ultimately it's, a, it's not a, it's so much an issue of ours, it's an issue of heart, devotion, loyalty, priority, what are we believing will give us security, significance, satisfaction. He said, lay your heart, your, your, your investment of time and energy and belief and devotion and priority into things that won't fade away. Because he says, where your treasure is there, your heart is, it is a heart issue, friends. It's not about how much you make, it's not about how often you work. It's not about whether you work hard. It's not about saying, well, we shouldn't do any of those things because that's all vain. It's like, no, why are you doing it? Where is your heart going in the direction of? And who are you trying to serve in what you're doing? See, God is the one good master we have, the one we can trust to teach us about this, the one who promises even more than he requires and will always deliver. You and I actually need to go, okay, well then where, where is the tension in my life? And so I got a couple questions for you and I just want you to reflect on these and I understand that wherever we are, they're gonna hit us at different points because we're all in different places and we're on a different journey. But I wanna ask you a couple questions that might be helpful to go, maybe this is an area where I have been, where's the tension most for you? Let me put it that way. Where are you being stuck most between two masters? Let me ask you a couple questions. I want you to just think about them. How often do I pray about purchase decisions? Big or small? How often do I ask God, should I buy this? Should I buy this now? I'm going to wait until you tell me what to do. How often? Because if God is my master, he's the one that's directing my life. So how often am I asking? Here's another one. Do I ever feel pride or embarrassment about my salary or wages? Right? Does money have a place in defining who I am and how significant I feel? Do I ever feel pride or embarrassment about my salary or wages? Here's another one. How often do I think about how much money other people make? or I can't believe that they, or wouldn't it be nice if? How often do I think about that? How often do I wonder? How much does that matter to me? Here's a good one. If I was independently wealthy, would I still work in my current job? So we laugh, right? But really, it's not to say we should quit. It's just to say, where's my heart? And for those of you that have kids, if my child asked me why they should work hard at school, what would my first response be? What is the vision I'm giving my children for hard work, discipline, devotion? What's the vision? And so here's the revolutionary question if we began to ask it. How could this serve God instead 
How could my job, even if I say I hate it, if I'm going to a job I don't like and the only reason I'm going is for money, how can I go for the sake of what God wants to do through it? God, why have you put me here? I may think I'm only here to make a paycheck, but you actually have placed me here right now. So why am I here? How can this begin to serve you instead of me trying to use it to serve money? God, how can my kids, how can my family, the ones you've entrusted to me, how could they serve God instead, instead of serving my vision for their comfortable life in the future? God, if I'm about to make this purchase decision with this money, how could this money serve you instead? This is a disturbing, troubling, but life-transforming question. In the late 1700s, a man named John Newton who was a, he was a captain of ships that were crossing the Atlantic. He was a slave trader. And he met Jesus. He changed his life, realized he couldn't trade slaves anymore. Ended up writing the hymn that many of us sing called Amazing Grace. Became a pastor. Changed his whole life. Changed his master, who's, which master he was serving. And around that time, another man named William Wilberforce, who was an English politician, also became a Christian. And when he became a Christian... He thought he should become a minister like John Newton. He knew John Newton. And John Newton convinced him and said, no, no, God's made you a lawyer. Maybe you need to do something where you are. The holy decision isn't about to leave that and go do something holy and become a minister. Wait, God has changed your life. Now you become a Christian. What are you supposed to be doing? How can this job serve God instead? And William Wilberforce <coughs> began working with a team and eventually was the lead person who uh, passed the legislation that abolished slavery in England. Because he began to say, wait, how can this serve God instead? For one person, it meant quitting his job, doing something totally different. For another, it meant just changing how he saw the life that he had been given. Friends, you have no idea what could happen in your life if you start to ask this question. It's scary at first. But if God is the one that needs nothing from us and promises security, significance, satisfaction, then the sooner we start to ask it, the better. And invite the worship team up, lead us in a time of response. Let me just pray for you as they come. God, we thank you that you are a master that doesn't use us up because you need stuff from us. We thank you that you are not a master who promises much and delivers little and less and less over time. We thank you that you are a good leader and Lord for our lives, and yet we need to believe it more and more. I pray for our church, for us as individuals, families, people here, even somebody who just kind of walked in today for the first time, that you begin to change our lives as we begin to ask this question, how can this serve you instead? We thank you for these songs that we can sing, of confession, of trust, of faith in who you are. Amen. I just want to bless you with faith to believe. We talked a couple weeks about that, that believing in God is not enough for us in this life that he's called us to walk. It is believing him. And so I just want to bless you with the belief that if I start to ask this question, it will lead me into a better place than I am now. That the fear would keep us from not, but that belief in God saying, okay, you're leading me into something better than what I have right now. That you would have the faith to believe in and the courage to ask that question. Did you receive that?